Welcome back, everyone, to the Walsh's Playbook, uh, episode six. So today we're going to break down uh, game two of the NBA Finals between the Bucks and the Suns. Uh, Christian, another exciting game. Yeah, it was huge. Um, I think it was noticeable to you and me that the Bucks definitely had a game plan. Yeah, I think one. they looked a lot more prepared, um, which led to a really interesting start. Um, I guess we'll go through it chronologically again, and then we will have time for an, uh, an old school story again. Uh, in this episode, we missed one last time, so I'll take I'll take one of those ones later on. But yeah, to start off with, so you're right, the Bucks had a, had a really good game plan. Uh, do let's go through the first quarter to begin with. Um, what I noticed straight away was um, Drew and Giannis were very aggressive at getting the ball straight to the hoop and really yeah. going at the Suns, um, not let not letting the game come to them, really taking advantage of it. And like yeah. Drew, Drew especially three or five to start the game with six points. Yeah, I think um, from the get go, so game one, you see the Suns kind of come out and enforce their will. There was a concerted effort from the Bucks to say, no, we're going to enforce our will to start game two. We're going to attack the paint. That's what we do. We're big. We're athletes. All right. Let's use that to our advantage. The Suns are more skilled in terms of the guards and the way they're able to score and shoot from the perimeter. What we have is we can attack the basket. We're full of athletes, full of height and size. Even Drew Holiday being a point guard as strong as he is. Let's attack the rim. So in the first quarter, 20 to 0 in uh, post points, basket uh, points at the basket for the Bucks. 20 yeah. to 0 which is a crazy stat. Um, but then it was it was an absolute contrast of styles because then on the other side, you see the Suns, right? The Suns, their first 15 points were all three points. Yeah, um, they, and they, they were moving the ball really well, cutting to the basket, whipping it around the top of the perimeter and getting open threes. Yeah. So Bucks, they shot 17 of their first 18 shots were inside and yeah. you know the Suns were completely doing the opposite on yeah, the game Yeah, eight plan. out of the first 12 of the Suns were three points. Were three points. Whereas so you're right, 17... Uh, of the first 18 were, were two-pointers for the Bucks, So completely different styles, a complete contrast Which is styles. fun to see. You're, like, yeah. you're seeing two different types of basketball being yeah. played and the coaches are going to have to adjust to those as yeah. they go. And both both trying to enforce their will. I think I was much more impressed with the Bucks early on in mm-hmm. terms of, you know... So uh, I think a big part of their game plan, and you touched on this, was Drew Holiday being more aggressive. Yeah. Right? Because for a few reasons. First of all, they need him to score a bit more. He had 10 points in game one. Um, they mm-hmm. need him to score more. They need him to be more aggressive and get more shots up. Um, but also, that puts pressure on the backcourt of the Suns if they're having to play defense on a guard that's going at them every yeah, possession. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's like, all right, let's test these guys. They're obviously going to be great on offense. Let's test them on defense. Maybe even draw them into a couple of, uh, you know, some foul trouble. Booker or, or CP3. So I think it was, you know, get Drew the ball. Um, let's get him. You've you got to be getting to the basket and trying to get some points. Uh, let's get inside in general, Giannis as well. Um, so, yeah, that was I definitely saw a big change up in terms of energy from the Bucks. But the Suns just hung around from all these three points. Exactly. Like um, we were talking about during the game, the Bucks played a fantastic first quarter. Um, pretty much everything you you expect out of a team after going down one nil, they came down and they threw the first punch. Yeah. But they were down twenty. They were up. Sorry, twenty nine, twenty six on the Suns. So still very close. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the Suns with eight threes in the first quarter. Exactly. So it's just, it, it seemed as though you know, um, the Bucks are, are running this great game plan, but the the Suns are just moving the ball, hitting threes. Um, and, and yeah, their role players stepping up and hitting big shots. And a trend we saw going from the first quarter into the second was Phoenix was kept off the free throw line. It was a very different story in game one. They were they were getting to the line a lot, Booker, Booker especially. 
Um, and also, the Bucks did not commit their first foul mm. until 16 minutes into yeah. the game. Playing aggressive defense, and yeah. It, the rest were letting them play a little bit, which yeah. is good, but, yeah, but no, very was, good um, from Drew. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, Drew as well. So, I talked about that the pick-and-roll action that the Suns were running in Game 1, and we were both really interested to see how that was going to be counted. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more on this as the game goes, but um, uh, uh, straight away you see, right, how are they going to stop... Brooke Lopez, you know, how are they going to stop the Suns from exploiting the Brooke Lopez uh, mismatch? Yeah. They they go with Brooke, they keep him in the game, which I think is a good idea. You don't want to take him out of the game and go away from, you know, one of your better players. Use his height to your advantage. But then what they did was Drew Holiday started dogging the ball from half court or even beyond half court. Yeah. So what I mean by that is he's playing full court man pressure on the ball carrier, which is usually CP3, and not letting them get into a pick and roll action easy, easily enough. Yeah. So... It means if, if there's going to be a pick-and-roll action, it's going to be coming up near halfway, not at the three-point line. And it's incredibly hard to run a pick-and-roll from halfway because, one, the roller is rolling from too far from the basket. He's not going to be a scoring threat. And the guy who's coming off the screen with the basketball, there's no shooting option there if, you, if, you know, if you're a foot inside the, the halfway line. I mean, I know guys can shoot from there now, but it's not a shot you're going to realistically take a lot of times. So that's how they counted that. Drew Holiday was fantastic on defense, and it worked for a while for them there. Um, going to the second corner, Phoenix really, I saw, flipped the script. Um, I saw them become the aggressors um, in that second quarter. They were, they were like, scoring a lot more at will, um, a lot inside, a mix, a mix of both inside and outside shooting. Yeah. Um, Br- Mikel Bridges was huge for them today. Oh, um, he was, yeah, he was awesome. There's been a few games in the playoffs where, you know, he's still done his job. He's a very good two-way player, young talent. But this game, we really saw him pick up the slack offensively. He, you know, him and Jay Crowder need to be there for them to like to get big leads up on the Bucks this series. But yeah, for he sure. was huge. Yeah, so you see, like, um, as I was saying, you know, you have it's harder to, for for Book and Chris Paul to get to the spots that they wanted to get to that they got to so easily in Game One, at least to start the game. You know, they didn't come out as hot those two, and and Book had a tremendous game, which we'll get to. But that was mostly in the third and fourth quarter. But um, the the superstars are kind of struggling to get to their spots. So it becomes about ball movement, making the extra pass, and then bridges and guys like that stepping up and hitting threes, which they, they were cashing their shots. They were shooting really well. And that first half, it was also noticeable how uninvolved um, DeAndre Ayton was. Yeah. Um, like, I think the Bucks made a big effort to... like he, He's very good at tipping the pass back to himself on offensive rebounds. They were a bit more aggressive to box him out. Yeah. Um, on offense, Chris Paul... Uh, Plenty of times was trying to throw lobs to him going downhill. Yeah. Um, and those passes were picked. Yeah. So he was like, uh, he seemed a bit down himself at points in the game. He wasn't very involved, but, you know. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, because you see, especially as well, that comes from dogging the ball that Drew Holiday was doing yeah. on Chris Paul. Because Chris Paul is the primary playmaker. Uh, he can't just look up and see the floor and make decisions exactly. if he's got a guy who's picking him up at half court. But the thing about that is when you're picking someone up at half court, you're playing a dog defense the whole the whole game. Yeah. You're likely to pick up a couple of fouls. So we see Drew get a couple of fouls. He comes out with two fouls in during the second quarter. Uh, and then they get straight back into the pick and roll with Aiton. And Chris Paul's able to get to his spots and find a couple of shots. He's able to kick it out to Crowder and Bridges, who are shooting extremely well. Uh, and so you see them, you know, they, they just shot the lights out and you see the Bucks go, crap, we made the first punch, we executed brilliantly, but we're still finding ourselves down in this see, game. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting decision from uh, Coach Bud to take out Drew. It's two fouls, second quarter, yeah. and I, I, I saw, I see this game, I see every playoff game, especially in the finals, as like a must win. Yeah. But game two, you really want to, I would have kept him in there for a bit longer. If he picks up his third, definitely pull him out. Yeah. But you know that's where that's where you saw them you know change the pace and yeah. and the Bucks sort of I think they brought Giannis back in a lot quicker and Drew back in as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, they knew that their game plan was to play a very aggressive style of defense, and they were relying on Drew to dog the ball and play a really intense defense, so they can't afford him to have three fouls in the first half. Exactly, yeah. But you're right, it is tough, because then uh, I think the very next play, I was like, all oh, right, Drew's come out, let's see what happens. Very next play, I think it was uh, it was Bryn Forbes, or it was Teague, who was... Um, who was then guarding Chris Paul. And that Chris doesn't Paul, scare Phoenix. Well, he, Chris Paul goes straight into a pick and roll, gets a mismatch, Brooke Lopez on him, little step back and a mid-range jump shot. And I said, well, there you go. You see, they, they got to, the Bucks have to be perfect or else Phoenix are going to exploit it. The position I think the Bucks are most weak at is at point guard. Like Drew Holiday, he's a fantastic point guard, starting point guard. Like he's been a big reason why they've gotten to the finals. But when you have a backup as Jeff Teague, who's been pretty washed the last couple yep. of seasons... And Bryn Forbes, who's a proven shooter, but he hasn't really proven himself much in the yeah. playoffs yet. Yeah. Um. The the Suns are going to see that, and they're going to be like, all right, we're going to take advantage of these guys who haven't, you know, been in that been in that like you know moment. Yeah. Before. Not a lot of depth in that position. So yeah, overall, I think, but really good competitive half. But I think it's almost discouraging for the Bucks. They go, we're playing not a flawless game, but a very very good game. Yeah. Um, you know, getting to the basket, dominating inside, and yet they find themselves down. I mean, yeah, they were down eleven at the half. Down eleven at the half after playing a good game, just because the Suns shooters and ball movement. Some of those possessions the Suns had uh, where they moved the ball, you know, five Beautiful. six times, yeah. was so nice to watch. I can imagine Popovich at home watching that and being yeah. like, "I like yeah, this like, basketball." Yeah, it's like it's like Spurs basketball. Yeah. So at the half, um, Booker ten four and five, Bridges thirteen points, Phoenix mm. had eleven threes as a total in the yeah. half. So that's a uh, Great, great shooting from them. Mm-hmm. Now, on the Bucks side of things, Giannis was there. He had 12 points, 8 rebounds. Holiday, 7, 4, and 3. You know, his usual uh, first half game. And then, But Chris Milton was the most noticeable being as like, non-existent yeah, in that very first quiet, half. Very quiet. 4 points, three, be- 3 rebounds, and 4 assists in game 2 to, at, at that half. Yeah, it's really disappointing for them. Um, you know, he's obviously been great uh, throughout the playoffs, but he, he's hot and cold at times. Um, I think it's it's tough for them when they execute. They're executing their game plan, and I think uh, Coach Bud said at halftime or you know third quarter, whenever they were talking to him, we're happy with the looks that we're getting. Like we're happy with our shots; they're just not falling. Um, and that was the case with Chris Middleton, and it was the case a bit with Drew. You know, they were put, they were making those guys attack Drew and Chris Middleton, and they were both just missing some shots that you know on another night they'd make. Um, as the third quarter went on, uh, noticeably Bridges was still aggressive. Um, he was getting a lot of inside shots to start that third quarter. Yeah. Um, but at, like you saw the Bucks sort of get into a bit of a, a moment where they seemed a bit stuck. Um, they were moving the ball around. They weren't getting offense from Chris Milton. Giannis um, was at like 11 field goal attempts midway through the third. So like he was still a bit, you know, um, easing on. But then as soon as Giannis sort of led the way, becoming yeah. aggressive and going to the point, he was getting fouled a lot. Um, and to be fair, like when he's hitting one of two, that's not a bad thing. When he's going mm. to the free throw line, I think team, teams are obviously hacking him. Yeah. But um, when he's making a few of them, it's always important. But like when he led the way, attacking the paint, really like being the man out there, that was that was that was what changed things for the Bucks and got them back into that game. Yeah. Oh, third quarter. Uh, you're right. It, it was. It took a little bit of easing into. He got to the line a bunch, but then he started scoring. Like at, we were soon forcing his will on the game. Exactly. Yana uh, said, "Right, you know, we're down double digits. I've got to take over. I've got to, you know, be the superstar that I am." He was incredible. He was really, really good. Um, he actually, so he had 20 points in the third quarter, which was the most uh, since Jordan in, I think it was 1993. Yeah. Uh, sorry, so before, so it was Jordan in 1993, and then the current, uh, since then, the record was 19 in a quarter, and that was uh, Kobe Bryant and LeBron James were tied for yep. 19 points in an NBA Finals quarter, and Giannis beat it today with 20. So huge quarter huge. from him in the third. A lot of free throws getting to the line. He shot 18 free throws in the game, which was more than uh, the whole Bucks team shot in the whole of game um, game, game one. one. 
So, and he made a level of them. Like, yeah. uh, he's he. It's definitely a part of his game that needs to become more elite. But yeah. like, he, he, I think he did pretty well in this game from the free throw line. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously you can improve upon that number. But uh, conversely, you see the Suns made 25 out of 26 in game one. They had only shot three free throws in the entire game with two minutes left in the third quarter. I just yeah. remember noting that at that time I said, they've only shot three. Giannis had shot about 12 himself at that stage. Exactly. Um, but yeah, he's, he was getting to the line a lot. Giannis had a great third quarter. Um, Tucker was playing really good defense on Book, I saw, but Book did start to hit a couple of good threes. Uh, he was starting that, to get hot. That was huge at the end of the third quarter. The Bucks constantly would bring it back down to like five, six or seven point game. Mm-hmm. And then the Suns would come straight down the floor and Booker would get a three or Chris Paul would find like a, a way past the defense and find an open yep. teammate. Um, it's it, That must be really like tough for the Bucks team when you yeah. you keep you work so hard to get it close. Yeah. But the Suns sort of seem like oh, with yeah. ease. Every they time they got a little bit yeah. of life, every time there was a little bit of life on the Bucks end, the Suns would come the other way and just hit a three or have it, have, you know, hit a big shot. Um, there was one particular little stretch that I noticed with... Um, it was five minutes to go in the third quarter. So uh, see, they move the ball. The Suns move the ball around. CP3 hits a shot clock winding three-pointer. Um, so, you know, at, at the very end of the shot clock, so that's 24 seconds of grueling defense for the Bucks. CP3 hits a three-pointer. You know, ooh, that's tough for the for the Bucks. Then they come the other way. Giannis misses two free throws. And then the Suns come back the other way and Booker hits a shot. And it's yeah. like that little turnaround like that, you know, that's so costly for a team. When you're playing 24 seconds of defense, then you miss two free throws, and yeah. then they go the other way and score. That's kind of like a that's a five point a seven point turnaround right there, right? If you count the five points they scored and the two the Giannis missed. Um, winding down that third quarter, um, as much as it seems like the Suns been shining for Phoenix, the like most most of the series, they they had um another injury. Uh, the Suns so, been shining. I like that. Did yeah, you do that yeah, on purpose? Yeah, I thought about that. It was <laughs> yeah. quick, quick for me. Um, but they've had Tory Craig went down with uh with what looked like a knee injury. Um. Now the unfortunate thing is like he might not be as much of a offensive production guy for them. Like they don't rely on him for points. He he comes in, he plays really hard defense. He gets mm-hmm. like a three or a three or two there. Um, but they've already lost Dario Saric to an ACL injury. Uh, we're still waiting to hear what what um Tory Craig's injury is. But once you lose two guys that are like you know you play eight to ten minutes off the bench, like important role players, um, then they're gonna have to start replying, uh, relying on guys that haven't really played much in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. we're gonna have to, that'll be something going into game three. We'll see. Yeah. But, you know, and unfortunate to see another injury for them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, with, with Saric as well, yeah, it's tough when you have role players go down. Um, you know, they've had so many guys stepping up and, and filling the roles for, exactly. for that Phoenix team. You just, yeah, we just hope that the, both teams maintain as much health as possible. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, the third quarter, I think it was a story of Giannis taking over uh, for his team. But the Bucks every time Giannis seemed to get closer and closer, he would get close. And then Book would hit a three. I think yeah. he was one point he was five of five from the three point line. Like he was just making all his shots. So really, really brutal for the Bucks. It's tough. I think you said this last episode, but they they expend or you know they they use up all their energy trying to get back, get into, back into a into game. The game, and then it's just it takes one or two big shots from those those really good playmakers to just to just put a knife in them. You know to just really um, kill their momentum. So then we've got uh, coming into the fourth quarter. Uh, what'd you see going into the fourth then? Um, well, this was like a after, as we said, Bucks used a lot of energy. They were they were gonna have to exert themselves again in that fourth quarter because they yeah. they still found themselves down. I think nine or ten points going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, so this was a time where it seemed like a, a trend that ending the third quarter went into the fourth where Booker was just still elite yeah. from three point. Yeah, he was hot. He got hot in the second half. Had a really good game. 
Um, yeah, he was five for five in the second half at some point. I think he, uh, I, I marked that down at some point. He shot a bit more after that. What did he finish from the three point line? Do you know? Uh, he finished seven for 12 from three. Seven for 12 total. So, yeah, so it's a good shooting from him. Um, Connaughton on the Bucks uh, shot well, but they started to, in that fourth quarter, we talked about this last game, started to isolate him defensively. Um, you know, isolate him, point him out, and, and try get mismatches on him and get Booker and CP3 going at Connaughton. Exactly. So when he's in the game, the Suns have been really good at uh, realizing where the weaknesses are in the Bucks' defense, whether it's someone like Brooke Lopez or whether it's a guard who... Someone like Patrick Connaughton, who's a great shooter but not a great defender. Exactly. Con- um, Connaughton had uh, yeah effective game. He had 14 points and yeah. 7 rebounds. In, in See, that's great. Yeah, that's, 33 minutes. He, yeah. Was, he, was, he was important for them. He was really good. That's why they got to keep him on the floor, especially because he shot really well. But, but at the same time, someone like CP3 or Book is able to find him and go at him one-on-one because he's not a great defensive player. And this is something I didn't notice really much about the Bucks in the playoffs is they actually have, they have a pretty weak... Weak bench. Um, after Pat Connaughton playing well, you have Jeff Teague. He had four points. Bobby Portis with two points. Bryn Forbes with three. Um, that's really not enough from your guys. Like especially when you're facing such an an elite offense from the yeah. Phoenix Suns, where yeah. the, like their whole starting five is uh, uh, are going to score a lot of points, and their bench is bench is pretty good too. Yeah. You need more out of your bench, especially when like you. Giannis and Chris are exerting themselves a lot to yeah. get the get back into this game. The bench needs to be better. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, not a bench player, obviously, but you look at someone like Bridges, who's not their you know first or second scoring option or even third. Um, how great he was for the Suns, like yeah. how he's able to twenty was it twenty twenty seven. He had thirteen in the first half yeah. and then backed up with an even better second half with yeah. fourteen. So. Role players like that stepping up in big finals games is huge. And you're right, the Bucks don't really have that from a lot of their role players. Um, another thing to talk back on the the pick and roll action that I've referred to a lot. Um, it was less prominent in this game because the Bucks had adjusted. Yep. But one thing I think I mentioned it to you as well was um, so yeah because they were dogging the ball you know all the way up uh, to half court and they had Drew guarding Chris Paul up at half court. Uh, DeAndre Aiden started coming in set to try set on ball screens, but they were up near the halfway line, which is much less effective than at the three point line. And um, they were still switching on some of those screens, though, at times. Yeah. And to me, I think Jeff Van Gundy said this, um, wh- you know, in those circumstances, they should just go under the screens, um, yeah. if you know what I mean by that. Uh, it means because Chris Paul's not going to come off and shoot from halfway. So rather than switch and get the desired outcome that Chris Paul wants, which is a, a mismatch with the big, just go under a screen if it's being set near the halfway line. So DeAndre Aiden and Chris Paul were still able to get a little bit out of that pick and roll action. And I think it was surprising that that the Bucks weren't realizing that, you know, CP3 is not a shooting threat from halfway. We can go under and recover rather than switch. Yeah. So that was interesting. They did a bit of that in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, anything else you saw from the fourth? Um, well, like what, what, what we were talking about during the game was, uh, I think it was about, uh, the Bucks cut it down to six with 103 to 97 uh, with about like four minutes to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we're talking about it. We're like, wow, this 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 is more of a game than it seemed the whole way. Like, could Bucks, could Bucks get a couple of good stops here and get yeah, a bit of yeah. offense flowing but then the Suns come straight down Boogie hits a yeah. three and Chris Paul gets like a mid-range yeah. um, and then immediately you're back into a 11 point hole with like a few minutes left and it's yeah. the same thing we saw in game one they put work so hard to get back and then they're down it's interesting to see where, where Coach Bud goes from here yeah. uh, like how is he going to get his team in a better position later in games to not always be having to you know yeah, yeah, I'd feel I'd feel bad if I was uh, the Bucks after that one. I, you'd, it's a kind of loss you'd feel pretty disheartened about because 
you actually you executed a pretty solid game plan. Like I was, I, I saw all the changes they made, and I thought, you know, they've 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 thought this out. They've done really well with what they've tried to do, attacking inside early. They said, let's just hit the paint early, uh, and they did. They had twenty to zero paint points. I mean, exactly, they look yeah. at that and they go, that's a win for us. But then they don't they don't factor in. I mean, you know, you just hope that the Suns on the, uh, if you're the Bucks, you hope that the Suns aren't going to hit eight threes in the first quarter and match you. You know, they were hoping they would have got to out to an early lead with such a dominant first quarter exactly. inside. Instead, it's quite the opposite. The Suns are matching you by playing that completely different style of basketball. Yeah, and there, almost, were, yeah, there, was definitely, there was definitely adjustments from the Bucks. Like, uh, Brooke Lopez played a lot less in Game 2 than in Game 1. I think he hit uh, the high 30s in Game 1. In this one, he only played 28. Mm. Um, but the Bucks also no, had no player play more than 41 minutes. And on the Sun side, uh, Monty Williams had a few of his stars playing close to the 44, 45-minute mark. Mm-hmm. So it might be maybe uh, uh, Coach Bud lets his players play like longer stretches. Like we saw, we saw in the Nets series, uh, the Bucks Nets series, there was a lot of games where KD had to play the 48-minute game yeah. to keep the Nets in that. Um, is Giannis gonna? Is are we gonna see that from Giannis or Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton yeah. to maybe to keep the team yeah, I mean, in it the whole it, way? I mean, Giannis was dominant. He had forty two points. He had, 40, he had a fantastic uh, game. I can't. Incredible I can't fault game. Giannis no, you can't that. fault him. And, and keep in mind, he's also technically coming back from an injury too, yeah, exactly, and he's still yeah. doing that. So incredible game from him. Uh, we said this before, but Chris Middleton uh, was really slack today in terms of just not hitting shots. Yeah. I mean, it happens, but um. It's unfortunate that that happened to him in a big, in a big, very important game. Yeah, five for sixteen from the field and one yeah. for six on threes. Yeah, see, no he just needs attempted. to. If they want to win, he just has to do better. He has to. Be, he yeah. has to do better. They put him in good positions. He had good shot attempts, and they just didn't really drop at times. So, so going home, um, it's up to the Bucks in Game Three. I think this is going to be the the series decisive game. Is this going to be a short series? Is this going to be a long series? Yeah. Game Three is where the Bucks have to bounce back at home. They're going to have their fans. They're going to be crazy. Yeah. Um, Bucks need to again throw the first punch and. They need to keep themselves in the game and get build up a lead early on and try to sustain that the whole way to get a win versus Suns. Yeah, the thing to me is uh, you live by the three and you die by the three, you know? So if the Suns do happen to have a poor shooting game at some point, I mean, they've got so many shooters, consistent shooters, yeah, and their ball movement and everything is looking great. But um, if they didn't hit the high volume of threes that they hit early in the first half, yeah. we'd be looking at a, a pretty different game, I think. So it was interesting... Um, but yeah, all that work that the the Bucks put in, and I thought their their game plan was so much better. And yet, the final score in this game was one hundred and eighteen, one hundred and eight. The final score in game one was one hundred and eighteen, one hundred and five. So all that extra work for a, a three point less three point margin. Extra. That was it. Uh, three point extra. That was all it really was. The defense so. is what will turn this series. The Bucks need to uh, defend the line a lot better. Mm-hmm. Make the make the shooters uh, play off the line and yeah. change that up. Yeah, for sure. Um, another just to finish off on that game, just a few uh, notes I've got on the series. Uh, the Suns are currently shooting as a team, or at least were at some point in that game, eighty-seven percent from the free throw line as a whole team, which is uh, currently the best in NBA playoffs history. So sorry, that's the, that's the yeah. playoffs, not the series. The playoffs, eighty-seven percent, which is the best in history. Um, awesome. Incredible, incredible shooting. So they're really taking advantage of their free throws. Uh, another point is that um, this is the first time since two thousand and ten. Uh, and which I'll, I'll talk about who that was, but that's our guys, your guy and my guy. But um, the two leading scorers in the series yep. uh, for each team, which is um, Booker and Giannis, yeah, yeah. Uh, are the uh, so the two leading scorers for each team are playing on their original team that they play, you know, the they first team they've by. ever played yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and ten year, uh, two thousand and ten. That was uh, the Lakers, Celtics, and it was Kobe and Paul Pierce. Yeah. Uh, so not since then have the two leading scorers for each team in the finals uh, been. 
playing for their original team. So yeah. that's really interesting. And then the last one I had was that um, Devin Booker, uh, as great as he's been playing, he's currently on track to possibly have the most points scored in a, in a first ever playoff run in NBA history. Yeah, I mean, wow. it helps. Obviously, a lot of people don't get to the finals in their first playoff run. So that's obviously a huge yeah, part of that. Yeah, but yeah. the fact that he's... It's a testament to how his team has gotten all the way to the all the way to the finals, and he's been such a consistent scorer. Um, the current record holder for that is Rick Barry back in the seventies, so a yeah. long time ago. Yeah, wow. Um, so a question I have for you, just to be, like uh, very excited for Game Three, but um, a question I have relative to this series is, um, it's been so fun watching CP3 and Book go at each other, and I saw this tweet on, on Twitter today, and it's like seeing how CP3 plays with Book. Is the league um, the league is pretty lucky that Kobe and CP3 yeah. ever linked? Um, do you see that like when you're watching Book and CP3, you're a huge Kobe Bryant fan, like the biggest Kobe Bryant fan I know. Mm-hmm. Do you see that sort of link? Do you see like a similarities between Book and Kobe? Like yeah, that? yeah, I do. I don't get um, you know I've I've seen people kind of get uh, triggered by comparisons for comparing Book to Kobe because it's like you know don't don't disrespect Kobe by yeah, saying yeah, yeah. books of that. But I don't I don't feel that at all. I think. I, I get the um the comparison. Obviously, book Kobe's someone the book looked up to a lot, yeah, and yeah. you you know he, you hear him he puts B Legendary on all his shoes. He's got the tat with B Legendary, like that was his role model, and he's modeled a lot of his game after Kobe. And yeah, it's it's he's playing like he's Definitely. playing fantastic. He's he's from that mold. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you're right. Like the way that they're playing now, this is a 36 year old Chris Paul with a young Devin Booker. Can you imagine? A prime CP3 with Kobe Bryant. That would have been that, that would have been something different. That right? would have, um, so I guess you're right. Like um, it's similar. That, it's something. Cool yeah, it is cool. definitely something to think about. Um, and I think even Chris Paul's brother said that. He said, "This is what you would have seen if they'd paired up Kobe and CP3. It would have been like this. Uh, it would have been like this, but even crazier. Because yeah, yeah. Can you imagine those two running the sort of stuff, getting in the mid range and like isolating themselves the would've way that nuts. they are now? It would have been insane. Um, so now we're going to go into our old school story. What yeah. have you got for us today, Trent? Yeah, so I mentioned Rick Barry before in relation to Devin Booker. Uh, you know, De- Booker's on track to, to go for the most points scored in a playoff run, in a, in a first-time playoff run. That current record holder is Rick Barry. So I thought I'd, I'd take it back to 1976 and talk about Rick Barry. Yeah, very cool. Uh, do you know much about Rick Barry? Uh, only little things. Like, yeah. uh, he's got an interesting free throw form. Yeah, so he's. I think everyone he's known... Uh, I'd say he's famous for that um, the free the free throw form that he has, which is his underhand two hand underhand granny shot they call yeah. it. So he used to shoot that way at the free throw uh, at the free throw line. So he's become a bit of a running joke because of how he shoots the ball like that. Yeah. But at the time, he actually had the highest uh, free throw shooting percentage in NBA history. Yeah. Like at the time, that's since been passed. But when he retired, he was holding the the best free throw percentage in history. Yeah. He shot it at ninety percent shooting uh, those underhanded shots. So, you know, it looked funny, and, and that's how people remember him as the guy with the funny shot, but, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but it worked for him. Uh, but anyway, this story isn't necessarily about the free-throw shooting technique. Uh, this is about we're going to Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. He yeah. was playing for the Golden State Warriors mm-hmm. against the Phoenix Suns. So, yeah. you know, another link in there with Phoenix. Uh, so, Game 7, and his team, the Golden State Warriors, were actually the favourites to win the championship. I think they were the first seed in the West. Yeah. Uh, and he was one of the best players in the league back in the 70s. He was actually an cr- incredible player back then. He, have, he had a career average of 24, 25 points a game. Yeah. Um, you know, a really dominant player. Uh, but in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals, uh, so in the midway through the second quarter, 
he gets in a scuffle with a guy on the opposition. His name was uh, his name was Ricky Sobers. Yep. So Ricky Sobers and he get into a brawl. Ricky Sobers throws, I think he lands three punches or something. Like he's, he's hitting him. <laughs> and his guys are coming up to back up Ricky Sobers. Yeah. And um, anyway, uh, they go into halftime shortly after that. And they're sitting in the locker room. And uh, and Rick Barry starts looking at the game tape. Uh, like he's re-watching the game. And he re-watches the fight. And he sees the fight happen. And he realizes. I'll just uh, to keep in mind, Rick Barry was known as a bit of an asshole. Like yeah, none yeah, of his yeah. team liked him. I think he was a guy who was notoriously not liked One amongst of those his guys. teammates. Yeah. So um, he realizes that in the fight, no one on the on the Warriors came to back him up whatsoever. They were all standing there watching him get punched in the face three times. And whereas his opposition, uh, the Phoenix guys, were all coming to back up their guy. Not one guy moved a muscle as Rick Barry, their star player, was getting punched in the face repeatedly. Not exactly the best uh, locker room. Yeah, so, so, but he was watching this at halftime, surrounded by the team. And yeah. he goes, you know, what the hell? He's like, none of you guys backed me up at all. And so he, he, he had a personal vendetta uh, against his own team and decided not to shoot the ball in the second half. So he goes, you know, I'm the best player in this team. If you guys aren't going to back me up, I'm not going to shoot in the second half. So he doesn't take a shot. He, he just hot potatoes it every time he catches the ball, just gets rid of it. Basically throws Game 7. He was the best player in that series, one of the best players wow. in the world. Throws Game 7. Uh, and so uh, of the Phoenix Suns, who had a, quite a poorly record, made it to the NBA Finals that year, and, and the Warriors didn't. That's uh that's pretty interesting. Like I can get, I can get having a spite against your teammates uh, yeah. for not backing you up, but... Uh, I do that maybe in the regular season, but Game Seven. Yeah, that's I mean, a... yeah, kind of shows wow. <laughs> Game Seven of the Conference Finals shows his attitude. I guess like he was, he was obviously a guy. Um, he, there's reports that he wasn't very liked in in his locker yeah. room, and I think it's funny though that you know he he was he would have been in that brawl and then gone straight into the locker room and watched it back and seen that none of his teammates came to support him at all. So yeah, it's pretty exactly. Funny. Um, no, very good story. And before we wrap up, we do have a bit of um, Australian NBL news. Delhi. Um, Matthew Delavadova is coming home. So, he's coming home. Uh, he had a he had an eight year um, NBA career, a few successful stints, but um, his NBA last, champion. NBA champion. Um, and he's but he's had a few uh, uh, rough couple of years, uh, but a bunch of concussions, which have caused him to miss like last season. Um, so, but he has he isn't fully coming to the NBL yet. The 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 um. Melbourne United has given him an NBL, NBA out clause, which means during this upcoming free agency period, he still has the ability to sign with um, an NBA team. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very unlikely. That's why they've given it given him that opportunity. But it looks like he signed a three year deal with Melbourne. So um, if all goes well and he comes back home, he'll be playing for Melbourne United, which is huge. They just won the championship and they backed it up with the biggest NBL free agency signing since Andrew Bogut. This is the guy who carried LeBron's Cavs team. Right? Exactly. <laughs> he he's the reason they were there. LeBron yeah, needed him. I mean, I think so. <laughs> anyway, um, that's what Australians say. Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> but um, we're going to wrap up episode six. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, game two, uh, Suns up two zero. Um, next next time we get together will be game three. Yeah, very important game. Uh, it's it's basically a must win for the Bucks. So let's see what they can do. And, exactly. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll we'll see you next time. Yeah. See ya.